Okay, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to start today in the book of Ephesians, but I'm just going to touch on a, a, a verse in Ephesians, and it's Ephesians 2.10. If you don't have a Bible but would like to follow along, there are some Bibles in the back right where you come into the cinema, so feel free to grab one. Um, if not, it'll be up on the screen behind me, or you can listen to my angelic nasally voice. Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Ephesians 2 says very clearly is that God has created you to do good things for him. He has prepared in advance things for you to do this afternoon or tomorrow or in the future. And they are for you to do and they are good things that benefit His kingdom. And, and He has set them aside for you to accomplish. God wants you to do great things for Him. Now, what we're going to learn today, I think, is that our heart contains the ability to either become God's vision or stifle God's vision. God has these things set aside for you to do, and based on the condition of your heart, you will either succeed and fulfill those great things, or they will be stifled and just kind of die as just a dream God has for you. And it's all about the condition of your heart. And to doubt... Ephesians 2, because sometimes we do, sometimes we look at our life and we just start sizing things up. Well, I could maybe do this and this for God, but I can't do this or this for God. Or, or I know where I've been and God, there's no way that he can use anything for me. For me, I'm just going to be lucky if he accepts me into heaven someday. Okay? To doubt that God can do good things through your life, to doubt that God can use you to advance his kingdom is to doubt the power of God. In other words, the God that created everything that we see around us, the universe, okay, the God that was powerful enough to create that, to doubt that he could use your life to do something great is to doubt that he did any of that stuff. I don't know how bad you may have messed your life up, but it's probably not going to be more difficult for God to use you for his kingdom than it was to create the whole world and the whole universe. He was able to do one, so he can certainly do the other. All right, let's move on now. And I'm going to move to Genesis chapter 1. Talking about, remember, God has created you and created good things for you to do. Keep that in, in your mind. Let it marinate. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. First words of the Bible. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, or the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated, God separated the light from the darkness. The darkness, or He called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. 
God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters and, and, and all that. And, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. The waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And now for our purposes today. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Now let's look at that for a minute. One of the first organic processes that God created was that of the seed. And the seed goes into the earth and it bears fruit, which makes seeds, which makes plants, which makes fruits. And this kind of a process has been going on since the third day of creation. One of the first things God created, and this is a process that is full of predictability, integrity, and purpose. When you think about it, there may be nothing on earth more predictable than vegetation. You put a seed of its own kind in the ground. It grows a plant of its own kind, which bears fruit of its own kind, which has seeds in it, which go into the earth, which bear fruit, and on and on and on. The cycle has gone since the third day of creation. Very, very predictable. It's also filled with integrity. What you see is what you get. If you put a watermelon seed into the earth, what kind of plant is going to grow up? A watermelon. If you crack open a watermelon, you will never get a pumpkin innard. It's going to be a watermelon. It is filled with integrity. What you see is what you get. It's a system that has been going on since the third day of creation. It is also filled with purpose. The idea of a little seed. I had to make my own graphic today. Those are seeds because I'm talking about seeds, huh? For those listening on the web, they are missing out. There ain't anybody listening on the web. Um, That seed, each one of those seeds is filled with an exact purpose meant for that seed. There is a purpose of exactly what that seed is to do, and that purpose is to grow up to trees or plants of the same kind and bear fruit. So this is a system of predictability and integrity and purpose that has been going on and on and on since the third day of creation. The seed is a sacred concept in Scripture. And the Bible uses seeds very often as a metaphor for spiritual growth 
and for a person becoming what God has intended them to become. And this is especially true when it comes to the Bible itself, the Word of God itself. The Word of God is often referred to as a seed. We're going to move now to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is a passage often called the parable of the sower. And it's really a teaching from Jesus all about the condition of our heart as it relates to doing those things that God has designed for you in advance to do. And I think that, you know, this is a concept that, that, that resonates with people because we all deep down believe that God has set us aside to do good things. Generally speaking, we feel like there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live, and we want to be better people, and we want to get things right, and we want to find our purpose, and we want to be true to that purpose. Well, this is what Jesus' parable is about. (coughs) That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea. Excuse me. It's good sleeping weather, but it's not good sinus weather. (coughs) That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. So basically, a guy was planting a lot of seed. And as he sowed or planted seeds, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain or fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, this is a strange story because this is really all Jesus told the crowd. A story about a guy who plants seeds. And he didn't necessarily say, hey, you should look at this as a metaphor. I mean, that's what we're supposed to look at it as, but it's what he would do with the parables. And parables were stories that when, when Jesus says, he, he who has ears, let him hear, he's talking about kind of a faith in, in spiritual ears. Anyone who wants to hear what God has to say through this, let him hear. And what a parable would do is it would exploit the condition of your heart. Jesus was notorious for this. Jesus would go around exploiting people's heart condition all the time. And if you believed that he was from God and had things to say, you could find all kinds of depth in his teaching. But if you didn't, he would just frustrate you to no end. And these are what the parables were designed to do. But fortunately for us, one more thing, this particular parable was one of Jesus' favorites. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's in different settings and told in different ways. So what that probably means is this was like a bit for Jesus. You know the way comedians have like bits that they do in different different settings and they'll make adjustments based on the crowd. This was one of Jesus' teaching bits that he probably did often in different settings. It was a favorite of his. 
He tells his disciples what it means. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. Again, listen to spiritual ears. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. So there were seeds scattered along the path that the birds ate. Okay, that represents the heart. No root, no growth. Birds take it. And Jesus says that's the enemy just confusing and, and, and the calloused heart just kind of casting it away. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Quick growth. Yet he has no root in himself. It endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises, when bad things come or they're reminded of bad things, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The first connection that Jesus makes here is by telling us what the seed is. Guy goes out and casts seeds, and that seed represents the Word of God. Matthew says the Word of the Kingdom. The other passages say the Word of God. Matthew doesn't use the word God very often because he's writing to a Jewish crowd. So he calls it the Word of the Kingdom. But the basic idea is this is the Scripture. This is the message of Scripture and it is the seed. And the heart is the soil. Now one of the things we see in this as, as we, go, we go back to this, this idea of the seed Jesus is calling us back to this process that began on day three, where this seed is planted with purpose, with predictability, and with integrity. And the purpose of the seed is always to reproduce itself with fruit of the same kind, something tangible. Now, I want to point something out here. When it comes to looking at the Bible as, as the Word of God, take a look at this picture here. Okay, that is a giant sequoia tree. They get to be 300 feet tall and 30 feet wide. So if you can picture, if you're a football guy or girl, think of a football field. That is the length of a football field. You're up there in the stands and you look down on the football field. It's about from a hash mark to the sideline. So like one-fourth of a football field wide and a whole football field long. That is a massive living thing. And that's the palm of a hand, and you can see that little dot there in the palm of the hand. That's a sequoia seed. So that becomes that. And Jesus said that the Word of God is like a seed, and it goes into the heart. Now, the Bible continually speaks of the Word of God as having power, as being living and active and alive, and, and, and vibrant, and, and it sits in our hearts and can explode into something the size of the sequoia tree. Now, when you, let me have that picture one more time. And this goes to, to parents, you know, moms, dads, 
husbands and wives, some of you have some people in, in your lives that you really wish God could just take a hold of, but they seem so far from him, and it seems hopeless. Jesus says the word of God, the truth of God, is like a seed. Now, you can plant that seed next to my house, and you would think that it's no match. But it's only a matter of time before a seed that produces that sends my house crashing to the ground. The Word of God is a seed which has within it the potential to do things that only God can do. So never write off a human heart. God's Word is very powerful by nature and can transform anyone's life. The next thing we see in Jesus' teaching is that this really isn't a parable about finding God It's a parable about producing fruit. Sometimes I hear Christians uh, use this as as a mean, like like it's talking about just the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness available. And when you receive Jesus as your Savior, uh, then you've, you've completed this parable. And it's about the condition of the heart of those far from God. But I don't see that here. I think this is a passage about anyone trying to follow God and how his word is received in their heart and whether or not their heart bears fruit from that word. Because since the third day of creation, God's desire for the seed was for it to produce fruit of the same kind. And we see in Jesus his desire for the seed of the word of God in your heart is for you to produce fruit of the same kind, which means you're learning something about God and then you're doing that thing as to benefit the lives of others in the same manner. So you learn that God is faithful. Now you're showing that God is faithful, a fruit of the same kind for those who need it. That's what this parable is about. But Jesus says that the enemy is at work in your life and my life scheming to keep that fruit from happening, to keep that seed from bearing fruit. He wants to to kill that seed, to wither the growth, to snatch the seed off the path, whatever. And, And Jesus gives two uh, very common strategies, and I think that you know they're always the same in the different times that Jesus tells this parable. So I think when the Son of God gives us insight into the schemes of Satan, we should we should take that pretty serious. And, and that's the first thing is that Jesus wants you to know that Satan really is at work in your life, trying to keep you from becoming, from doing those things that God has set aside for you to do. And the first thing that Jesus says we need to look for are trials and temptations. Bad times and bad things keep us from taking the word of God and producing fruit with it and actually living it out. And I think that sometimes that happens through bitterness. We experience some kind of tragedy and either the pain of that tragedy or our anger with God just keeps us from living a productive life. We just choose to harbor that bitterness for many, many years And we do nothing for God out of anger. But sometimes, I think it happens when we begin to believe the things that were told to us. 
Some of us have gone through bad things at the hands of other people. We've been abused verbally or physically or emotionally, whatever. And, and we begin to believe the things that were said about us. I think most people on the deepest levels believe many of the negative things that were said. And we see ourselves as unable to do something great. We think that people don't want to hear from us and don't want to know us or, or that we have nothing to offer God. Now, that's a lie. That's not what God's Word says. But we believe it because of the trials and tribulations that we have been through. And that's a heart condition. And that's a problem. And if you're like me and struggle with those kinds of, of, of voices from the past, uh, that's, that's my heart condition that I have to get over. Because that's not from God. God's word says that he has created good things for me to do. And he expects me to do them. And if I'm writing those things off by, oh, I can't do that, or nobody wants to talk to me, or whatever, that, that's a problem, and that's a scheme that Satan uses. And then the other scheme that Jesus says to be aware of is the deceitfulness of wealth. And, and we see where, where we are told truth from God, and we're very interested in that truth from God, but we have competing goals. We want to grow spiritually. We want to feel good about God. We want to use, be used by God, but we also have this other path that we're headed down in life. Well, we want to get ahead. We want to move up the ladder. We want to be successful. We want to be attractive. We want the perfect family. We want the nice stuff. And that just leads us down these other pursuits that keep us from fully becoming the person that God wants us to be. And those are just schemes that Satan uses continually. Now, I want to go through one final thing with you as it relates to the parable of the sower. And, and this is just something new that, that, that God, I think God has, has kind of gripped my heart with. And so, um, I'm going to throw it out there. And, and just open your heart and, and see if maybe God has something to say to you. And I think he might have something to say to us as a church through this. Um, Jesus talks about the fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And that's his desire for that seed in your heart. Okay, But what has gripped me lately is the realization that in America... Christians in America spend billions of dollars on seeds. Seed consumption in America is a billion-dollar industry. You go online to CBD or Amazon. You go to the Family Christian Bookstore or Berean or even Walmart or Bueller's. You will find the section of seeds commentaries, Bible studies, DVDs, CDs, podcasts. We have so many seeds available to us and they package them slick and they're in all kinds of you know, nice looking varieties and we have spent billions of dollars on gathering seeds. American Christians, myself included, have spent billions of dollars on seeds. But statistics over and over again, reliable, believable statistics show that there is no difference 
in lifestyle. Very, very minimal, if any, difference in lifestyle between followers of Jesus and the secular crowd. So we have spent billions of dollars on seeds. We have been great at collecting seeds, but we are not bearing fruit. And our answer becomes, we need more seeds. The reason people buy seeds spend billions of dollars on seeds is because they are not happy with the way they are growing, myself included. I need more food. I am not growing. I need a different kind of seed. I am not growing. I need that church's seed because this church's seed is not producing growth in my life. And we've turned to collecting seeds as a source of becoming who God wants us. But the problem is, in Jesus' parable, the seed is not the problem. It's the field. It's the heart condition. The heart condition, the soil, is the problem for the growth. And maybe, instead of turning to billions of dollars of seeds... We need to be examining our own hearts for the problem of growth. And churches, and this is what I struggle with as a church leader, we've we've paved the way for this. We know that people will come for seeds. Butts will be put in seats when you offer good seed. And what church leaders like myself do is we train people, we will applaud you for coming to listen to the word. Come. You brought a friend? That's even better. It's like we've made the goal listening to the word. But what Jesus says is the goal, the end, is fruit. Now, what I'm not saying is the word of God is not important and the word of God is not a source of growth. It certainly is. But if you are taking in mass quantities of the word of God and not seeing growth and fruit in your life, the problem is not the word of God. It's not the seed. The problem is most likely your heart and my heart. And when we have our heart right, then we take in the word of God and it produces all kinds of fruit. It's a problem of motives. I think sometimes our motive is we want to feel like we're growing. We want to know more. We want to feel better. But this isn't the kind of motive that produces fruit or growth. The kind of motive that produces fruit is, uh, produces fruit is, I'm going to approach God's word and see how I can do this and reproduce this in the lives of those around. There's Bible study and there's Bible doing. And I think we're far too interested in Bible study and need to become more interested in Bible doing. And when we're interested in Bible doing, then that will produce fruit from Bible study. And this might just be something for me. But maybe it's something that you can gain from as well. I hope that as a church, God would look to our hearts. And I hope he sees a church that loves his word. That can't get enough of scripture. But the end goal is Bible doing and producing fruit out there.
where people desperately need to see God's word in action. And we're the only ones that can show them that.